thank you for clicking and thank you for listening to Policing Matters, the Police One podcast. I'm Doug Wiley. Hey, this is Jim Dudley. Jim, you know, we've seen over the course of the last decade or more um, law enforcement officers being asked to do more and more and more things not really related to to enforcing the law or uh, chasing down criminals um, or serving the public with, you know, just public service. Um, but this this kind of would then fall into that final category of serving the public with quality of life issues. In particular, and one that we see here in San Francisco quite often, is the burden that um, homeless and homelessness uh, places on agencies and officers. Constantly, as we're going about the city, you see officers having to deal with indigent people, often on drugs, often um, uh, reeking of alcohol, often just uh, in it's really bad shape, mentally ill and all of that. Um, but taking officers away from other enforcement duties and placing, placing them squarely in sort of a, um, a, a kind of a social support sort of uh, role. W- what do you see in this, in this particular area? How, how has it evolved to this? And what can be done? Well, well, first of all, I want to emphasize that homelessness itself is not a crime. No, of course right? not. Being homeless is not a crime. Uh, having some um, somewhere on the spectrum of mental illness is not a crime. Of course not. Um, it, it does, however, become uh, a crime or on the radar of law enforcement when it turns to associated behaviors and offenses like public urination, public defecation, drug use, violent behavior, aggressive panhandling, breaking into cars, the kinds of things that people might experience in uh, a large city like San Francisco, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, Baltimore, um, on and on and on. I think the ben- the, the advantage that the, the Far East, uh, Far East, the Eastern um, cities have over California and the Western states is that uh, the weather pretty much takes care of a lot of the homeless issues uh, when it gets really, really cold and the snow starts mm-hmm. dropping. But not so in California. We, have, we enjoy some great year-round weather. We have um, a high homeless population, as does Los Angeles, and a large percentage of our budget. I think um, last estimate was over $200 million dollars. Uh, to address homeless issues in San Francisco. Uh, a couple of ballot initiatives call for another $150 million more. Um, housing, do you, you, those are all issues that I, I gladly leave to the politi- politicians. But I think when, when people are going to work, when they're going to school, when they're coming back home, and they witness these acts, or they're pestered by individuals with aggressive panhandling or being accosted, um, that's when the public looks to law enforcement to step in. And I see no problem with that. I just I just feel that on this, the spectrum of duties, it should be a, a low level. But when you talk about the frequency, there is a public safety demand for law enforcement to step in. And often, law enforcement tends to be criticized for how they deal with the homeless. So what's the answer? I don't know. This is a good one for our listeners to write in or or um, jot in uh, their thoughts at the bottom of, of this podcast and tell us, what is it that your city does really well? How do you deal with the homeless? Um, you know, the, the, the wide variety of um, 
attempts to address the issue. In, in San Diego, I, I researched and understand that the SIP, I guess it was their pun, the SIP program, the Serial Inebriate um, Program, uh, really addressed uh, getting people into treatment, regular treatments, getting them into housing, getting them some medical attention. So it's that sort of million-dollar Murray um, situation where Murray Barr was this um, retired vet who got drunk every day and often called uh, for an ambulance. So over a span of time, a million dollars in resources was assessed to this one individual. And I think in, in San Francisco, we probably have $40 million Murrays. Oh, easily, without question. I right, mean, so the, the, the is the answer to give them $40,000 worth of housing and attention and support over the daily drip, drip, drip of going out on the street, picking them up, taking them by ambulance or radio car to medical facility or jail, court costs, jail costs, all the associated costs. I think in the long run, those programs that address people before they're lying on the street in a puddle of urine or or costing people for money outside of an ATM, I think those programs um, are, are best suited um, in the interest of the public and in the interest of law enforcement. Yeah, and in the interest of, of, of safety, my own personal safety, I won't mention which neighborhood I live in in San Francisco, but I have over the course of the last eight years seen whether or not this is dis- displacement from another area, an overwhelming number of new, uh, just a massive number of, of again, serial inebriants, large uh, amount of heroin use, a large amount of um, uh, uh, car break-ins. The number of these crimes in this particular neighborhood has, I would suggest, probably tripled in the last eight years. And the number of these these indigent, you know, folks has probably quadrupled in the last eight years. And uh, that's there's no, you know, there's no um, there's no accident in those two numbers being about the same. Uh, it's it's a terrible thing to see someone who's so um, burnout, distraught. You know, their lives have just come crashing down on them. Um, it's it's a tragedy, but it needs to be addressed, as you'd said in other ways and not just relying on police officers to come and shoo them away once once a day it seems you know and in this neighborhood i routinely see patrols stop in doorways and you know on sidewalks where they could be going out and doing other enforcement efforts and and being effective at those and you know my my personal feeling on this is that the efficacy of constantly putting these people into a, a 24 hour kind of hold isn't it's not effective it's not doing anything it's not moving the needle so um, i think it's it's important that we start saying all right well wait a minute if that's not working let's not do it anymore let's try and do something different sure and i and i think the the mental illness factor cannot be ignored i think um in in a large city like san francisco um we're dealing with individuals that rise to the level of police detention so not, not to mention the guy on the street waving his arms, screaming and yelling. That guy is probably not going to end up going to, to uh, a psych detention facility. But if they are a danger to themselves, if they are a danger to others, or if they are gravely disabled, they will come under the detention of law enforcement, taken to one of those treatment facilities, and let out in anywhere from four to, to 36 hours. Mm-hmm. So... Last year, I think um, 6,100 commitments were made, involuntary 
5150s, mental health detentions. So, and I think that's a fraction of what could go. I think an awful lot of times um, law enforcement officers will show up and mitigate the situation. They'll divert the person to some other resources, uh, maybe um, allow them to do a voluntary commitment so that they can get an immediate aid and be able to leave when they want. Right. I think a, a good model is the um, to train officers, training education are keys. So if you look at the Memphis model of dealing with uh, the mentally ill, their CIT program, their crisis intervention teams, it's, it's a, a national standard of training officers on how to talk to individuals, not let uh, situations escalate um, by creating uh, a dialogue space mm-hmm. and, um, and, and getting those people the help they need rather than escalate it to a, an incident. Yeah, I think all of these pieces really come down to certain elements of quality of life enforcement, right? I mean, when you see a neighborhood go into decline and you see fewer people willing to walk on the sidewalks at certain hours of the night because they're fearful they'll be accosted and you see a vast number of increases in car break-ins, you know, to pay for whatever drugs they're going to try and, you know, consume that that day or the next, um, you, you begin to I know for a fact, talking with my neighbors and talking with people in, in the neighborhood, people are people are upset, people are afraid, people are concerned, people are um, kind of angry, if you will, about the decline of the neighborhood. And so we start looking at you know things like broken windows policing and trying mm-hmm. to fix stuff before it goes severely downhill. A very, very safe and wonderful neighborhood eight years ago, not so much eight years later. And so um, you know, I think that's, an, you know, that's a, probably a topic for another day. Maybe we'll revisit that next week. Sure. We'll talk about some broken windows policing. <laughs>